We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Support for this podcast comes from U.S. Bank. When it's time for a new credit card, the best ones do way more than just buy stuff. And that's why U.S. Bank offers credit cards that make every day more rewarding. Earn cash back. Score points when you shop, dine out, travel, or binge watch. Or get a low intro APR. U.S. Bank credit cards were designed to fit your lifestyle. So make every day more rewarding. And check out usbank.com slash credit card. U.S. Bank credit cards are issued by U.S. Bank National Association N.D. Some restrictions may apply. Member FDIC. Welcome to the Rotowire College Football Podcast. It is Wednesday, August 21st. Nick Whalen back with John McKechnie. Uh, John, today is the 18 year anniversary of the release of How You Remind Me by Nickelback. It's also the 15 year anniversary to the day uh, of Rockstar. By Stand Nickelback. Up and Shout. So, right. Stand Up and Shout. Two of the five greatest songs, I think, of all time released on the exact same day. Uh, just three years apart. True, you know, the stars were aligned back right. back in the middle of August of, of 2001. Mm-hmm. Uh, fun fact about that Nickelback album itself in its release date, well, I guess it's not really that fun. Uh, it's It was released on 9-11. I did find that out in doing my research. So, uh, silver this, side up. In the, yeah, the 9-11, too. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Got to wonder how that impacted sales. Uh, I wasn't going to bring it up, but I'm glad you did. Um, Starting hot. Yeah, seriously. Uh, speaking of, we'll keep it going. It's also Ruben Drone's birthday. Hey. Uh, he's 41 years old. Uh, I'm expecting, I don't know if it'll be SI, if it'll be Time Magazine, people. You know, I'm assuming there will be some sort of, you know, Ruben Drones kind of fluff piece. Ruben Drones at 41, you know, kind of a look back uh, at all that he's accomplished. He's got did- like a giant turtleneck on and sitting in front of the <laughs> fireplace. 
<laughs> I uh, I did not realize he went to Oregon. Really? Not like I mean I know this was kind of before Oregon was Oregon, but not a guy that screams you know flashy um, you know Oregon type of guy. Just I, I was shocked to see that he seemed more like a maybe Kent State. Maybe an Eastern Michigan, yeah, lunch pail uh, guy, maybe for a Kennesaw sure. State, something like that. Yeah, was he there with Joey Harrington in that case? He was drafted in 2000, so I don't think so. Okay, yeah, because I think Joey Harrington was on the cover of NCAA Football 03. 03. Yeah, so with he, the orange yeah. mouthpiece, right? That's kind of how I, when I think about a certain year in college football, I think of who was on the cover of that game. Hundred percent. Go from there. Speaking of which, um, I, I'm a little bit ashamed to admit this, but I think talking about it publicly can oftentimes help the healing process. I relapsed recently. I started a dynasty on NCAA football 2012. Lord, forgive me. Yeah. It's time <laughs> to go back, back to, to the, the old, old me. me. <laughs> um, I don't know how you in the past have chosen your teams that you, that you pick you know, when you start a dynasty. For me, it's like a multi-day process of scanning all the uniforms, maybe making some roster tweaks. You know, maybe you make sure there's like a 98 overall freshman who happens to be starting at quarterback who's 99 <laughs> speed, something like that. Uh, but I had it down to... Florida and Penn State and I decided to go with Penn State interesting as a, as a Big Ten guy yourself know. you know like uh, I feel like you had to kind of rectify some things with yourself in order to do that and you know you're, you're risking a bit of your reputation in, a, in and of itself by doing that you know with among your friends that's true thank you for saying that that's something I considered not picking Wisconsin essentially is, is what you're saying but Penn State has a lot of advantages in terms of recruiting on that game that pet that uh, Wisconsin doesn't uh, but it's going well so far, uh, and I'll, I'll make sure to keep you updated. You know, as the season progresses, and it, it would have caused a rift in this podcast if you went with Florida. Like, it, oh, I'm gonna you know start this new thing, yeah. and then oh, and by the way, it's the team you uh, <laughs> care for the least. Exactly. Um, so we'll get right into DFS. Uh, we'll you know we'll talk much more about hard knocks, uh, some more general college football topics. You know, as as kickoff nears, but we have a two game slate uh, set for Saturday night. I'm very interested to hear your your takes on this because you know it's one thing to attack a two game slate in the NFL or, or in the NBA, but when that two game slate features one very good, very interesting game between Miami and Florida, uh, and then one just complete wild card game between Arizona and Hawaii, um, I guess I'll just kind of put it to you generally. You know, what is your strategy when you're when you're attacking a slate like this? We'll we'll go with DraftKings prices. Um, are you going to entertain? Khalil Tate, you know, one of four essential quarterback options on this slate. He's at 9,000, the highest price player uh, on the slate overall. Yeah. So I think for for your lineup construction for this one on uh, DraftKings and, and FanDuel, where, where both have the super flex, I think that this slate will essentially come down to who makes the best Tate Cole McDonald lineup. I, I really don't really see another case for any of these other quarterbacks. I mean, we're talking about a game that should have. Uh, a fair bit of tempo, uh, very very shaky defenses on on both sides. There, um, there's some there's some returning production, some experience that that there is on the on the Hawaii side and also on the Arizona side. Um, looks like Hawaii ranks ninth in returning defensive production, Arizona eleventh. But Arizona is you know they're they're a defense that got worse as the year as the year went on they were 121st in passing yardage allowed last season and and if you split it up by by the months it continually got worse as the year went on so i think that 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 just means like the runway is clear for hawaii to to take off against this arizona defense which again like it's returning guys but they aren't quite it's not quality returning production here so uh I think that the ball is going to be in the air a lot in this one, especially coming from the Hawaii side. So I think starting off 
going after Tate and McDonald as your two cornerstones. Obviously, it's expensive. You're going to need to find those cheap receivers, but we'll and and cheap running backs. We'll get we'll get there. But I think you're just leaving money and points on the table if you try to get too cute with the quarterback situation. I might just cover my bases and make one lineup that that has a Felipe Franks in it. But oh, overall, I mean, there, there's enough you know savings there to, to maybe go get another like stud running back or something if you go with Franks instead of one of the top two guys. But overall, I just don't really see a way that I'm going to go away from the Tate McDonald start to my lineups. Over under for Arizona Hawaii, uh, seventy four points. Are you expecting them to blow this out of the water? I I am. I know that again. Like both both these teams have those experienced defenses here, but I I think also. I mean, the implied totals there being with Arizona as an eleven point favorite. Arizona implied at forty two and a half points. Hawaii implied at thirty one and a half. I don't think Arizona holds Hawaii under thirty five even. So I I just think that we can very easily see a 42-35 game and we have the overhitting. I think we could very easily see like a 51-65 game as well. Crossing my fingers. I mean, right. that would that would be so good. I mean, like all this build up and everything going into the season and then to have like the the kind of premier game from a DFS perspective at least for for this opening weekend mm-hmm. just be an absolute point fest would be incredible. I think that'd be so much fun and especially when it's juxtaposed against a game that a game with Miami versus Florida, which should be like a good game, and, and it will have you know some implications uh, for the larger you know broader college football context for the rest of the season. But that's a game that both those teams run very slow offenses. Both of those teams are running under seventy plays per game last year, which by college standards is glacial. Um, neither of those teams ranked inside the top ninety as far as their their plays uh, run per game. So it'll be kind of back and forth, kind of a slugfest, and you're not expecting great quarterback play. I, th- I think that the spotlight on Jaron Williams is going to be uh, one of the big keys to that game. The fact that he beat out Tate Martell, maybe he, you know, that's a big surprise to everyone in general. So maybe he's got another surprise in store and can kind of rise to the occasion. But I'm not holding my breath on that possibility necessarily. So the prices on DraftKings, um, you know, would imply kind of what we, you know, what we're thinking with how this Miami quarterback battle shook out. I mean, Williams is only $100 more expensive than Martell. And, you know, it's not like those two are going to split reps. But my question to you, whether it's in game one against Florida, if, you know, let's say they fall behind two or three scores in the first half, or if it's week two, week three, like how safe uh, is Jaron Williams in being Miami's starting quarterback? I, I know this past week, Martell was taking snaps at receiver in practice. So it doesn't exactly look like, you know, they're prepping both guys to to see playing time early on. I don't think that's the plan, but you know, even after winning that job unexpectedly, you know, what does he have to do to hold on to it? Yeah, I think I think the the safety element that, that you put in there, like it, it feels like this coaching staff is very much going to be merit based. Um, I think that they're, you know, they obviously took on a five star transfer in Tate Martell. You would have figured he safely was going to win this job, but when it came down to the actual execution of this offense under under Dan Enos. Williams was the better guy. So while I do think that Williams might have been the right choice right now, um, if he struggles out of the gate here and this Miami offense that has a lot of talent on it, I mean, you're talking about like Jeff Thomas, who's a former like Under Armour All-American, KJ Osborne, really impressive transfer from Buffalo, uh, getting starts there. Mike Harley, also a really kind of effective guy underneath and in the slot. So there's a lot of talent on this Miami offense. And if Williams can't unlock it and it's week two, week three, I can't imagine that leash is very long. Yeah, I feel like Martell has turned into 
kind of this national joke and I, I assume it's the same in Miami you know if you're a Miami fan you know obviously you're disappointed that he's not starting I think it's almost when you when someone like that transfers in it's almost a guarantee you know you see guys like Jalen Hurts Kelly Bryant I mean you walk right into the job that's part of the reason you go there mm-hmm. so it, I mean, like you said I, I think it does almost seem like a statement by the Miami coaching staff you know I, I'm sure you know publicly you always hear you know, it's going to be a competition. This this goes for the NFL as well. It's not just college football. You know, it's going to be a competition. We're going to let it play out. 99% of the time, the guy who you think is going to win the competition or who in the public eye should win the competition ends up winning it, whether, you know, whether they deserve it or not. And I think it's kind of shocking to see it go the other way with, with Martel. Yeah, it, it really was. I mean, he was a guy that has been, you know, on the national radar since he was early on in high school and, and committed to be like the next five-star guy at, at A&M. I think he was going to be the, the guy after Kyler Murray or, mm-hmm. you know, or, or someone that those Aggie fans were going to be just as excited about as landing a Kyler Murray. So it's, it's insane the career path that he's had with the very small amount of plays or like snaps he's actually had in a real college football game. So it, it is, it is one of the bigger shocks of the summer. I would say, I'd say going into the spring or, or let alone coming into June or, or July, uh, the idea of Jaron Williams uh, winning this job. I mean, even Nikosi Perry had a bit of cachet, you know, having played and having made starts for this Miami team and kind of being uh, billed as their new golden boy as recently as two years ago when uh, he, he was there along with Malik Rogier. So it's been a wild ride. And w- yeah, when it comes to Martel, do I envision him finishing his college career at Miami? No, but uh, I mean, we'll, we'll see what this year holds. But uh, for DFS purposes also, uh, not touching that. All right, let's look at the running back position. Again, going back to that two-game slate for Saturday night. J.J. Taylor, a guy who ran for over 1,400 yards last year, almost 120 yards per game for Arizona, is the highest-priced player on this slate by far. I mean, he's a good $1,500 more expensive uh, than the next highest player. That's Michael Pirine at Florida. Um, where are the guys that you're looking? I mean, who, who are the players that you're going to lock into most of your lineups? And then who are you know maybe one or two guys further down that if you need to save a little cash in a lineup or two, you might turn to? Yeah, Hawaii a, has a run defense that you want to target. So that, that makes Taylor uh, a very appealing option. Obviously, you're going to have to pay through the nose for him, especially compared to you know some of these other uh, running backs here that are, that are going to be in uh, starting type of situations. So you Making a making a lineup that has uh, both the star quarterbacks in McDonald and Tate, and also getting Taylor, it's going to be tough. I think that there are going to be ways to pull it off, but I really like Taylor's chances here uh, of doing some damage against this Hawaii uh, rushing uh, rushing defense. And I think maybe there's a there's a case to be made where Arizona wants to control the the tempo a little bit and just kind of like keep play keep away a little bit from this run and shoot offense that that Hawaii has and how do you do that or what's the best way of doing that uh it's probably you know getting the run uh going uh so I think Taylor definitely plays a huge role in in this offense so he should be worth that 7700 price tag it's just a matter of can you fit him in uh along with your McDonald's and your and your Khalil Tates um per with uh, Michael Piran uh listed as a starter he's running behind an offensive line that you know is going to be at best, an unknown and just a relative uncertainty overall because Florida is replacing four of their starting offensive linemen from a year ago. Uh, the only guy that's the returning starter is the center. That's that's good in terms of you know calling out the the uh, protections and everything like that. But I mean, he's not necessarily some some you know big star. He's this he was a low three star at center. So they're gonna be getting inexperienced guys at both the tackle spots, both the guard spots. So you wonder how effective this 
run game is going to be for Florida. Uh, Miami is replacing a lot as far as their defensive front goes. So that could end up kind of being the story of the game, who kind of wins that battle in the trenches when Florida has the ball, because, um, you know, again, Miami is going to need to prove that they have been able to reload uh, in that front seven there. So uh, Pirine, pretty pretty enticing there at 6,200. You could definitely do a lot worse. Um, DJ Dallas is kind of an interesting guy because he's just 5,800. So that that's someone that is very affordable to get a piece of a starting rushing offense. And, uh, you know, when you have Jaron Williams making his first career start against, uh, this Florida defense that is pretty vicious in the secondary, probably going to want to get, uh, you know, kind of protect him a little bit by using the run. DJ Dallas proved last year, I think to a lot of people's surprise, um, how effective he can be on the ground. And we also don't really have Lorenzo Lingard uh, ready to roll for this Miami offense. He was a five-star running back last year who kind of had a season derailed by a knee injury, wasn't listed on there on their too deep. So he's someone that, I, that I'm probably not approaching unless there's some news that, that comes across in the next few days. Um, so Dallas, pretty nice play. And then Cameron Harris uh, at 4,400. You, you've got to figure that he's going to be um, a, a pretty safe bet to at least get some touches to spell uh, DJ Dallas going against this Florida defense. It's just a matter of how effective he can be because we're not really sure what he is yet at this level. So we talked about, you know, obviously this Arizona-Hawaii game likely to be a points fest, almost a lock to be a points fest. A lot of that, of course, will be coming through the air. I know you have two guys for Hawaii uh, who you've already deemed locks. Uh, Bird and Ward, is, is this kind of like a new age Devon Bess, Jason Rivers uh, type of tandem? We're, we're trying to get there. I, th- I think that these, I mean, th- neither of these two guys, unfortunately, are the John or Sua level. Yeah. He well, was they don't have like, like Timmy Chang throwing to him either. Boy, yeah, if we could, if only, and if only June Jones was there. But <laughs> Nick Rolovich looks pretty good w- with the Hawaiian shirt on mm-hmm. in his own right. So got to give credit where credit's due. But yeah, Bird and, and Ward are going to be two guys that, that are just very, very chalky, but also with very, very good reason. And, and neither of them are extremely cost prohibitive in my opinion i mean bird and ward uh both saw like over 20 percent of the of the target share uh last year at hawaii and obviously they're replacing uh, i believe 28 percent of their targets overall uh in terms of losing john or sua so those targets need to get redistributed somehow uh you figure ward and and uh and Bird are the first two guys to kind of get uh, picks at it. Um, but there are two other guys that are going to be starting um, in this Hawaii receiving core. We're trying to sort out what that pecking order really is going to look like. Um, but Jared Smart and Jason Matthew Sarsh are the two kind of trending trendy names that are going to be, I think, lining up in the slot for Hawaii. So you got to figure, especially in, in a format like DraftKings, where it's uh, point per reception, full point. Uh, per reception, those guys could rack up some nice volume as as sort of the chain mover uh, functioners of that offense. So uh, those two guys are, are very interesting as well, and both those guys are pretty um, affordable. Um, I'm trying to find where where Sarsh's um, price is right. I now. got him at 4,700. Okay, that's yeah. So that's something that that's very very appealing. That's a that's a really nice way of getting uh, a share of this. Uh, Hawaii passing attack so I like I like him a fair bit and they have this other guy um, redshirt freshman so we don't really know what he is yet but he he's the one sort of big tall fast guy uh, that this Hawaii receiving core has and that's Eric Rooks so uh, I'm not sure about him necessarily but I think 
in a, in a two game slate where you need to do something to separate yourself. I think that there's going to be so many very similar lineups here. You got to find that one guy that, that can kind of differentiate yourself. And I think Rook's a guy that's like six, three, two fifteen. um, kind of more of the red zone type of type of option. I think that maybe he's someone that's a difference maker uh, in this week's uh, game or in this week's contest. So, I mean, the prices bear this out. The top five guys at receiver are all Arizona or Hawaii. Um, I mean, it, it, does it make the most sense to basically stack that game? Uh, as far as the passing game, yeah, yeah it, it, it absolutely does. Um, I think that there's some advantages to be had with, with how the Arizona guys are priced. Mm-hmm. Um like Peterson, he's like their their top returning receiver, Cedric Peterson, I'm sorry. Um, so he's like kind of interesting, but at the same time, he was really, really average last year, just like not not as impressive as as you would hope for for the top returning receiver. So um, if you move down the list a little bit, uh, a guy, uh, Jalen Curry, Jalen Curry also goes by Booby Curry. So that's his uh, that's his name on DraftKings. Uh, so automatic. Yeah put him in your lineup now so he's the lock of the week basically but he's four thousand, and he is easily like the highest rated recruit that that arizona has in their uh in their receiving core i think he's like a you know like a 92 according to most recruiting services the the rank out of uh 100 so he's he's big and he's fast arizona has arizona always has this very strangely shaped team where like they have a lot of guys that are five seven one eighty sort of guys like that you would normally see on Hawaii. Then they have like a couple like giant guys like Sean Poindexter from the last couple of years that are really big, um, but but kind of slow or, mm-hmm. or have some other warts to their game. Curry looks like he's kind of like the total package. He was kind of the gem of their most yeah. recent recruiting class. So I'm oh. sure Kevin Sumlin was happy to get him aboard. Hopefully he's more uh, Mike Evans than uh, than Speedy Noyle, if you know what I mean. <laughs> R.I.P. Speedy Noyle's career. <laughs> yeah, God. what is he doing these days, man? I wish I knew, but I also don't want to know. I'm yeah, I'm <laughs> googling him right now. I'm almost uh, I'm almost scared to do There's this. Steam and coming out of your first laptop. result: former Texas A&M receiver, quote Speedy Noyle arrested. Dot dot dot. I don't even feel like clicking to find out, but yeah. he'll be back. Um, <laughs> throwing DFS out the window for a second. How do you see this Miami Florida game playing out? Um, I would say that overall, I mean the, these teams. In terms of their overall quality, very, very similar in terms of how they've been able to recruit over the past couple of years. Uh, broke down uh, how this is going to look in the trenches, especially, and both of them have pretty talented secondaries as well. Florida always does. Miami uh, has turned in some NFL players in that regard in recent years. I expect this to be low scoring, and that obviously is reflected in, in the over-under of 47. I'm not sure how I feel about the that line specifically but i do feel that florida should cover the seven and a half i just think going up against a you know i think there's a first-time head coach using a first time or you know debut quarterback here going against a guy in dan mullen who is carrying a a, a top 10 florida team into this season opener i think they're going to try to make a statement i think that winning by more than a touchdown uh is one of my uh favorite bets of these you know four potential things to to wager on for this week so i like florida uh covering this this spread um but i think the under is definitely in play for this one as well i think we could see like a uh like a 30 to 14 type mm. of game for with, with Florida winning. This feels like a comfortable Florida win, maybe not the most impressive Florida win. I mean, like like you said, rep- replacing four starters, including an absolute stud and current Jaguar, Jawan hey, Taylor. Let's go. Uh, on, on that offensive line. Um, and having to do that against 
a Miami team that comes in unranked, um, you know, has kind of, it, it felt like they were in that Texas mode of like potentially being back for like four to five straight years. And now that's kind of fallen off, you know, almost kind of back where they were six or seven years like ago. Pre-ricked. Um, right, exactly. Pre-ricked. But I think, I mean, as you highlighted with that recruiting breakdown, like talent-wise, they're right there, you know, and at some position groups, they're more talented than Florida and mm-hmm. others, it's close. But, um, you know, I, I think having to break in four new offensive linemen against a team that isn't all that great, but is still extremely talented, especially on the defensive line, it's, it's not going to be easy. This is technically a neutral site game, right? It's a home game for Florida, but it's actually in Orlando. That is correct, which uh, obviously closer to UF than it is to Miami. So, I mean, I, I imagine this will be a mostly orange and blue crowd, um, but, it, you know, Miami fans will, will travel a decent bit uh, for this as well. It's good to have this rivalry potentially kind of getting restoked here. And I right. think I just saw on Twitter today where they have an agreement to, to kind of get this thing rolling again for real that that should almost be like federally required i agree seems play like like there really needs to be like a florida round robin yes that was just yeah exactly i mean you could even throw ucf in there i mean i don't know about the long-term viability of that but at least florida florida state miami yes and it'd be cool to to get central florida in on that and and let them kind of back up all the talk that they (laughs) always do um I okay hate do you, them for doing that by the way but i just they are very loud about about uh trying to get respect Rightfully so. Um, do you have anything else to add to to the overall DFS um, you know assessment of this two game slate? Um, okay, so I think if you're if you're attacking either of these passing games on the Florida Miami side, Jeff Thomas, uh, a big play uh, type of receiver, so he's someone that, that's interesting. A little bit cost prohibitive. I, I remember on FanDuel, he's like the like the fifth or so most expensive receiver. I forget exactly where he is uh, as far as. He's like the sixth, or so he's the number one receiver that's playing outside of the Arizona Hawaii game. Yep. So he's going to be a little bit pricey, but I think some people might end up kind of sleeping on him and trying to avoid these receivers as a whole. But Thomas is a stud, in my opinion. I, I really uh, want to get that out there. Um, and then Van Jefferson, a guy that that saw 20% of Florida's targets a season ago, um, didn't do a ton with them, uh, only 7.3 yards per target. But um, I think in, in terms of PPR, I don't really see anyone out-targeting uh, Jefferson. So that's kind of like cheap and easy points against the Miami uh, defense. And it's a way to get a guy that's not uh, going to be super highly owned. And I think he does have some touchdown upside. So 5,100 on DraftKings for Van Jefferson. Uh, I think there's worse ways to, to spend uh, that money. And I think you can separate yourself a little bit uh, that way. And then, yeah, I, th- I think we we touched on those uh those Hawaii receivers one, one way or the other, you know, and mm-hmm. Stovall is an interesting guy. He's the, he's a California transfer, uh, but he's not going to be starting. But if you really are feeling ballsy, I think he's one of the more talented receivers on this team. So if, you know, one of these guys gets dinged up or struggles or, or you know, Stovall just gets himself onto the field. And I know he was also kind of working with, with the kick return and special team stuff. You don't want to count on that for DFS necessarily, but he can take one of the house. He he has uh, that kind of explosive upside. So Stovall, uh, he's, I think the price is going to keep him like basically under ten percent owned at the at the very most because he's not he's like expensive and also not starting. But he's kind of an interesting tournament logic type of guy. Plenty of news items to get to today. Um, over these last you know four or five days, we've had several 
Uh, High-profile QB battles have been settled. You know, obviously, time is running out. A couple schools still going to take those down to the absolute wire. UMass. Uh, yes, <laughs> UMass being one of them. Uh, who was, there was another one that the coach literally said, you know, we're going to wait. I think it was Northwestern. North I think West- Pat Fitzgerald said we're going to wait until one second before kickoff. Vanderbilt did as well. Okay, very yeah, cool. Of Derek, Merce, Derek Mason just, yeah. Ooh, the, the nation waits on bated breath <laughs> yeah, for, right. for the Deuce Wallace-Riley Riley Neal winner to be decided. <laughs> Deuce Wallace? Yeah, come on. It's I mean, it's a cool name. Like, it, is you, it? You feel like he should have run away with the with the job just because yeah. of the name advantage he has over Riley Neal. But the SEC names, and we'll we'll get to one in a second. Um, especially at the quarterback position, just continue to be even more ridiculous than ever. <laughs> um, well, we'll start with Jalen Hurts. Uh, okay. This was not surprising. Um, you know, Lincoln Riley. I mean, we we kind of referenced this earlier. Um, you know, when we talked about QB battles with Martell, this was vintage coach speak. You know. There were days when we we thought it might be someone else, but at the end of the day, he Lincoln Riley basically said Jalen Hurts had fewer bad days than everyone else, and when he had bad days, they weren't as low as Spencer Rattler or, or Tanner Mordecai. They had to start Jalen Hurts, and I think that was decided all along. I, I also believe that Jalen Hurts played his way into this job. Um, you know, I, I would assume at some point, you know, this is going to be Spencer Rattler's team, um, but. Again, no surprise whatsoever. Um, what are your overall expectations for Jalen Hurts? I, I, I've heard or read, I should say, you know, the possibility of three straight Heisman trophies at Oklahoma. I, personally, I think the competition is just too stiff at the top for, for that to happen. But I think this is going to be a lot of fun to see Jalen Hurts, you know, back in control and not having someone breathing down his neck an entire season. Yeah, we're going to see, you know, sort of the return of like a more like power, powerful Oklahoma, like rushing attack. I think where it'll be a little bit like when they had Joe Mixon and Samaj P. Ryan and like early Baker Mayfield before he kind of, you know, elevated his game to the to a completely different stratosphere. Um, but I, I think that 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 OU run game with Hurts kind of like as the trigger man there is going to be just absolutely lethal against these um against these big 12 defenses and hurts you know great head on his shoulders good guy obviously was it was a pretty quick study of this offense that's going to play to his strengths I think Lincoln Riley knows that there are some limitations to to hurts as a passer that he probably just won't worry about you know, expecting the same things that he did of like a, you know, late stage Baker Mayfield or, or a Kyler Murray from a year ago. So I think we're going to see this OU offense tailored to his strengths. And for, for fantasy purposes, Hertz is just going to be a monster. I think I have him as, as number three. Um, so yeah, I was definitely expecting him to, uh, to win that job. I was a little bit annoyed by how long it took. I was a little bit annoyed by how long it took, took with Justin Fields as well. But I mean, in, in the end, it, it felt pretty certain that that both of those guys were going to win those jobs. Well, how much different do you think this Oklahoma offense is going to look with him versus Kyler Murray and Baker Mayfield? I mean, Mayfield and Murray and and Murray even more so certainly capable of running the ball. I mean, I think Murray had about 140 rushing attempts over a thousand yards. I mean, that's no secret, but so many of those were scrambles, you know, were, you know, dropping back, looking to pass and then dashing through the middle for 15 yards I mean, last time we saw Jalen Hurts, it was a lot of, you know, read option, QB power, you know, kind of Cam Newton-y type of stuff, which, you know, you weren't, you weren't necessarily going to run a, a QB keep, you know, through the, you know, through the five hole with Baker Mayfield, which now you can do that with Jalen Hurts. And, and I think maybe he's not quite as good of a, of a passer on the run as, as Mayfield and Murray were, but what he offers as a design rusher between the tackles, I think, is something that we haven't seen at Oklahoma in a while. That's right. So he's going to be, you know, that's going to be a whole nother dimension. And, you know, I think some, a stat that might surprise some of the listeners here is 
Um, and, and maybe this speaks to just Oklahoma being able to kind of run out the clock late in games last year, but um, Oklahoma ran the ball 55% of the time last year, which ranked inside the top 50 in terms of overall rushing rate amongst all FBS teams. So they weren't a, a completely wide open air raid type of offense necessarily. They, they definitely had a, a focus and an emphasis on the ground game. So yeah, it'll, it will look a little bit different. I think that you, you kind of characterized it really well where they're not going to have, or they haven't had the designed runs because they haven't needed it because of Murray and, and Mayfield's uh, just, you know, great efficiency and effectiveness as passers hurts, not that same guy, but they can just be absolutely devastating with, with, you know, the induction of more of those read option type of type of plays And Oklahoma also just always has the best offensive line, at least in the big 12. Um, they're ridiculous. I know they lost a couple of guys to the NFL this past year, but they're still just going to be absolutely mauling people. Whoever their offensive line coaches needs to be getting paid more. Uh, yeah, if you want to, you know, just double down on that, just Google the name Creed Humphrey, uh, and I, I think you'll get a, a good look at what that Oklahoma line is going to look like this year. Uh, speaking of great names, Bo Nix, a fantastic SEC name. Um, I remember when he committed to Auburn. This was probably two or three years ago. I've never even heard of this guy, and I was just like, he at birth. I think the doctor was like, you need to sign a letter of intent that you'll play in the SEC. It doesn't it doesn't matter what school, but like your name is Bo Nix. Oh, that is that, an automatic. It mattered where he's going to go. His daddy played there. Oh, really? Mm-hmm. Well, that, that makes even more sense. Uh, he beat out a Joey Gatewood, obviously a horrific name when you compare it to Bo Nix. Um, <laughs> what, what do you know about, about Bo Nix, a big recruit? Um, so Bo Nix, very impressive guy, obviously like a, a five-star uh, level talent this, um, from this past recruiting cycle. Enrolled early, so he basically was getting the same amount of reps with the starters as Joey Gatewood. Uh, to start the start this past year, Gatewood like is the more athletic, you know, specimen type of guy. You know, he's like six five, like two thirty. Um, you saw like only one or two plays you needed to see against Purdue last year, but he just looked like, you know, just kind of a, a different type of guy back there. That especially compared to like a Jarrett Stidham. But I think Gus Malzahn has a very specific. Uh, expectation for what he wants out of out of his quarterbacks right now I think the way that they have their receiver set up this is one of the better Auburn receiving cores uh, that we've seen in in recent years uh, especially headlined by this guy Seth Williams so Bo Nix I think just showed an ability to pick up this offense and is a little bit more effective and efficient as a passer I think that the ball hits the ground a little bit less when he was out there in practice and it did with Gatewood apparently you know towards the end of fall camp when you're starting to kind of be able to read the tea leaves out of the plains you were able to kind of tell like Nix was running the the first or getting the first snaps in like 11 of the 12 different quarterback drills that they were doing and and the one uh, the Gatewood was getting the first reps on was like uh, quick screens to like graduate assistants. So uh, that that sort of lets you know like what they wanted Gatewood to be doing versus who they wanted Knicks to be working with. So um, from a fantasy perspective, I don't expect a ton out of Knicks right away. We have him as quarterback forty eight overall, and then quarterback thirty two if you if you suction it down to power five plus Notre Dame. Um, so. A, a fine enough, you know, like bi week streamer, but I, I think overall you're just going to see Knicks playing against this ridiculously tough schedule. I think Auburn's just going to want enough going on with the rest of its offense, and they want to win with their defense a little bit more. So I don't expect gaudy fantasy numbers from Knicks at least right away. That schedule is absurd. It's uh, both oh Auburn God. and AM. I, I I don't even know what would qualify as a successful year. 
you know, and you have two coaches who are under pressure, you know, obviously I, I think Malzahn even more so than Fisher, given where he's at in his tenure. I mean, the Oregon game aside, I mean, for most teams that would be, you know, maybe not a must win, but you know, if you want to be in contention, certainly a must win. And for someone like Malzahn, probably a must win. And that's before you even get into your conference schedule, Auburn and AM play each other in week four. Um, you go at Florida at LSU home against Georgia home against Alabama um, and A&M I, I believe do they have Clemson on the schedule as they well do. They, yeah, so they, play, Clemson. they play one two and three in the preseason rankings yeah it's brutal unbelievable and are all of those on the road to or I guess they get Bama at home I think they A&M get one does. at home yeah. yeah all right I'll run through a couple other quarterback announcements um, you know maybe two or three and then you can you can chime in Illinois has named Brandon Peters the Michigan transfer its starter uh, Lovey Smith says he's quote pumped about it so there's that Austin Kendall getting the nod at West Virginia. He's a grad transfer from Oklahoma, uh, only appeared in six games for the Sooners, basically just kept getting usurped by Baker Mayfield and Kyler Murray and now Jalen Hurts. Uh, just basically got the hell out of there as soon as Jalen Hurts announced <laughs> like, that he was transferring and, and Spencer Rattler's coming in. Like, this is just ridiculous. Uh, but he goes to a you know, pretty good situation in West Virginia. And then, of course, Justin Fields beat out someone named Gunnar Hoke. Uh, again, not sure. Did he Can end up at Ohio it? State by accident? Did he, was he an SEC transfer? He was an SEC transfer. Okay, that makes sense. Yeah, so that makes all the sense in the world. Yeah. He, he came from uh, Kentucky. Oh, okay. Well, that makes extreme sense. Um this is just another in a long line of really cool looking Ohio State quarterbacks that I I wish I was just like not a Wisconsin fan so I could root for Terrell Pryor and Braxton Miller and Cardell Jones and Dwayne Haskins and Justin Fields might be the coolest of them all and he wears the arm sleeve which you know I like a lot he's got the visor uh, and yet I'm going to have to root against him all season. Uh, I won't have as much of a difficult time rooting against him uh <laughs> yeah i would imagine <laughs> oh gosh he uh i think he liked the tweet about jeremiah holloman getting arrested or, or uh, getting kicked off of george's team oh which was just like yeah he's got some some childish behavior and he also i believe when he when he transferred uh to ohio state he started liking all of tate martell's sister's instagram what a dirty dog i know man so so he's something else but on the a field he's 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 ridiculous I, I again i was surprised it took that long for him to uh to win that job outright i, I guess ryan day didn't want to you know completely uh on the silver platter it uh to him but fields is fields is going to take this offense to interesting levels yep. i mean we're going to see basically Imagine if JT Barrett was actually really good at passing. Uh, imagine. Yeah. He'd be so, Troy Smith. Yeah. <laughs> but then, I mean, but he's like a better runner than Troy Smith. So impossible. Oh my God. It's, it could be just absolutely ridiculous. Yeah. What, what happens with fields this year and, and the receiving talent around him is pretty insane with, with KJ Hill and Austin Mack, Benjamin Victor, uh, Chris Olave, uh, this guy, Garrett Wilson, that mentioned a little bit last week. I'm sure the offensive line has more NFL guys ready to roll. I was surprised at the lack of NFL guys that they had along their offensive line this past year. I'm sure that'll that'll change in this upcoming cycle. So, yeah, Fields is going to have Ohio State. It, they're going to be really, really tough uh, to to beat, especially in the East. Yeah. Uh, that that once again, we we should get a, a good Michigan Ohio State game, and that one will be at Michigan. So we'll see. Yeah, a lot of people don't want to say it, but I think Ohio State's going to be pretty good. Yeah. yeah. Uh, a couple other quarterback situations. JT Daniels retains his starting job at USC, holding off, or holding off, I should say, Kidon Slovis, a uh, four-star uh, recruit in the class of 2019. Is he one He'll of be the, the Chechen guys from Barry? 
He very well might be. I was unable to confirm. Um, he's the 17th ranked QB in the class of 2019, but sounds like he'll have to wait a year. Uh, Wake Forest, Jamie Newman has held off Riley Skinner to take the starting quarterback job. He's a redshirt junior, had a huge Birmingham Bowl. Um, yes. So still kind of riding high off of that. That was like my favorite like alt bowl game of, of, la- of all <laughs> of last year. Alt bowl game? I sure did. <laughs> um, Oklahoma State, we're still waiting on Spencer Sanders versus Drew Brown. That's D-R-U, Drew. Yeah, him and um, Drew Hill hang out a lot. Sure. And as we said, Northwestern, still deciding. Uh, Pat Fitzgerald said they'll be taking this down to the wire. I, Hunter Johnson, the extremely obvious favorite, uh, but he is competing with fifth-year senior TJ Green, the son of Trent Green. So there's an interesting wrinkle in this one. No, that Yeah, that's it. You know, that's something where I have been expecting Hunter Johnson all along, but you bring up Trent Green and, and suddenly I, I might have to go back to the drawing board. But Overall, I do still envision Hunter Johnson being the being the starter for this team, starting all twelve games and do, doing a good job uh, as or in that role. And I think that he could find himself onto the NFL radar. Maybe all the people that are going back and deleting their Clayton Thorson as an NFL quarterback uh, tweets, it, you're out there. I, I know that those people are out there. I actually did a search for that not too long ago, just for laughs, um, and those tweets exist. Um, but Johnson is going to be a good player for them. I just I hate the fact that they have basically no receiving talent around him, so he won't necessarily shine. But um, really impressive recruit in his own right. He kind of just he is sort of like I guess Big Ten or big or ACC version of uh, Austin Kendall, where it's just like like you can't win. You know, like you, right. you, Trevor Lawrence is there. Like sorry, like it's just not not going to work out so well so he got out of town once Lawrence got there uh, a year ago um, but I expect him to be the starter when it comes to Oklahoma State that's obviously one that has the most probably the most fantasy relevance of the remaining quarterback battles there in in Washington State Um, but yeah the last few years Oklahoma State just it just always it's automatic it just they always churn out uh, high-level quarterback production. Sanders, the more athletic between uh, Brown and himself. I think he was a Gatorade Player of the Year in the state of Texas his senior year of high school. Um, so really impressive talent for Sanders. I expect him to come out on top there. Jamie Newman is someone that that needs to be on your fantasy radar as well. Uh, nobody was more up-tempo in the Power Five last year than Wake Forest was, I don't believe. Um, they did lose Greg Dorch and, and Alex Bachman, uh, two, good, two good players at receiver. Dorch, obviously a star at Wake Forest, but they have plenty of talent. Uh, Sage Surratt, uh, Scotty Washington, a couple of big-bodied guys that can go make plays. So there's a lot around Jamie Newman, and Jamie Newman can also make things work with with his legs. I do wonder what the fallout is going to be at some of these places like like Wake Forest and like Auburn, because Gatewood's too good to be sitting on the bench. And obviously with Knicks being younger than him, uh, you wonder if Gatewood just maybe like sticks it out this year at Auburn and then he's he's off to somewhere else. Um, and then with Wake Forest, Sam Hartman was uh, a guy that was prominently featured on that uh, QB1 documentary, I believe. Mm-hmm. Uh, and he looked really good uh, last year at, at times, but he kind of struggled and ended up mm-hmm. losing that job to Newman. But you got to wonder if you if you're him and you have that kind of billing to you are you willing to sit on the bench for another couple of years like probably not so uh yeah the tra- transfer portal uh, rides again do you want to do hard knocks let's all right so we had episode three of hard knocks last night uh, in my opinion by far the best episode of the season i didn't even think it was close and with like three minutes into the episode that was already the case yep <laughs> uh i don't know how you feel about frank caliendo um 
always makes me laugh. That the Gruden impression. Um, he did a little Barkley. I, you know, I didn't think that was really necessary, but I think it was at Gruden's request, which he must he must just love that impression. Barkley. That one's a little played out. Um, he basically just has the word knucklehead that he says over and over. But the Gruden impression gets me every single time. I know, I know it's I know it's super played out. I know he's been doing it for like eight years, but I love it, and that was an awesome way to start the episode. It gets me every time. And and you know, listener, go out and and Google or look on YouTube. There was a time where. Uh, Caliendo was on the Levitard show like probably five, six years ago, and he did uh, Gruden reading bedtime stories, <laughs> and it was incredible. Uh, so look that up. But yeah, yeah, it was so funny to have him in there, and he does the Gruden eyes even. So like there's yeah. even the visual component of his impression. Right. So I was, yeah, I was laughing my ass off. Like it's just, it's one of those things that will get me every time, despite yep. knowing that it's a little bit corny. My favorite Caliendo, I think, is the they did like a fake thirty for thirty promo once, where it was him and Mc, it was him doing McShay or uh, doing Mel Kiper yeah. with, with McShay actually participating. That's where the you know the Todd 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 came from. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I know again, I know Caliendo's played out, but I always love that. Um, there was a ton to unpack from this episode. A lot of Antonio Brown. I mean, what a what a guy. I have no idea like what he would be like to hang out with behind the scenes it's it's tough to tell in this format you know what you're doing for the camera what you're not doing for the camera if for him it's just kind of like all blended together I think like I think he operates even when the cameras aren't there he like I imagine he operates the same way as if he's always being filmed by you know 10 tv cameras um great entrance I thought the way that they presented that with the 21 Savage song of him coming in uh like basically ran up to Derek Carr and just told him he loved him with no hesitation no like hey sorry I haven't been here like I mean they they can't have met more than like two or three times outside of this um there's a Bill Romanowski sighting which was interesting I thought to keep him around the team I, I looked him up on Wikipedia he has an entire section on his Wikipedia page, dedicated to altercations, uh, the following <laughs> That's what you want on your on your on your right. Wikipedia. The following sentence appears on his Wikipedia page: "Quote: Romanowski has been accused of being a racist at many points during his career and after retirement." Uh, so again, strange oh, that he think? was just hanging around the team, not exactly like a mentor type of guy. Um, <laughs> my big overarching question, and I've, I'm yet to actually get an answer to this, and I'm sorry if I'm being ignorant and I just haven't read the right story, but what is the actual issue? with the helmet is it that he feels like he can't see as well out of a new model it doesn't fit his head right he's worried about getting hurt like what what is it about this exact model that he has to have like why presumably you know the rest of the league has had no issue adjusting especially when you take into account these you know very real data that shows that these helmets are better like what is it exactly that he needs to have this helmet from 10 years ago yeah my understanding is that it's been the helmet that he's played in his entire nfl career and and i had heard all the way back to high school Really? Yeah. Okay. So, yeah, I mean, w- with that, I mean, there's definitely the comfort factor. You've played contact sports with a helmet before. like I was on the football team, yes. There you go. Um, but, like, yeah, you, like the comfort of your helmet is definitely in, in your ability to see is definitely like a factor in everything. But you just figure, and like you said, there's empirical evidence to suggest that, like, there are better helmets. Right, and, and he presented so, himself as a data guy on this episode. Oh, my, yeah, I know. God. So that, that goes to my, like, larger point that he has to be, like, the most two-faced person person right walking the earth well he did say like when he finally reported to practice 
you know, there, there was a, a mic on him when he, he was talking to somebody, it might've been Richie Incognito. And he, he said something about it. And it's like, oh, this lid is so ugly, which led me to believe like, is it about how it looks? Because I, I wouldn't be able to tell the difference. Yeah, it might be. I mean, it, it very well might be because yeah, like that, that was yeah. a great little moment in, in the episode mm-hmm. that he, oh, look at him. He's wearing a helmet. Like it's, it's become a story now when he has a yep. helmet on, it's you know, on a football field. And then there was like the, the part, I, I forget if this was on the actual hard knocks or not, but he like showed up to practice, I think yesterday or Monday. And he's like, he participated in the part of practice where he didn't need a helmet. And then yeah. he was gone. He was well, it was solved, you know, it, it, everything seemed great in the middle of the episode. And then it was almost a cliffhanger ending of, you know, the whole cycle starting back over again. And Antonio Brown, again, for unknown reasons, you know, reverting to his previous stance of not being willing to wear the new helmet. Yeah, I just don't understand it. It's it's like I'm so over it, but it's like so, it's so hard to like keep tabs on. And it's it, it's frustrating also because like I want to see him out there. Yeah. This this hard knocks has made me want to, the Raiders to be good. So right. No, I agree. I, I think even despite Antonio Brown coming off as like a complete psycho, it's it's also managed to highlight just how good he is and how hard he works, which is a weird juxtaposition. Like typically guys like this who have these you know issues with teammates, issues with coaches, personality, demeanor issues, like. I think often hand in hand it goes hand in hand with that is you assume football's not their top priority. Maybe they're not the hardest worker. He's skipping practice, but he's also in great shape. He's still running routes. You know, like that's it's very strange to have like this guy who's this all world worker who just cannot seem to get along with anybody at the same time. Yeah, I, it's you know truly one of the great mysteries of the NFL. Yeah. I, I just don't understand it. I will say by far the strangest thing about him. You know, all the quotes, that weird uh, applied sports scientist guy that he was hanging out with, by far the strangest thing about Antonio Brown in this episode and in Hard Knocks as a whole, has he ever had Gatorade before? Like, have you ever seen anyone, he was going around, like, basically being a butler and serving Gatorade to other teammates, and like, have you tried this stuff? And they're like, yeah, it's it's Gatorade. No, but they were, like, he, the trainer came up to him uh, earlier in the episode and gave him the bottle, and he tried some and yeah. he's like man like what is that and then it was like a, a very specific ratio of like berry and watermelon gatorade yeah. and he i guess that apparently is the perfect flavor and so he was trying to like mix it up for the boys on the sidelines I, I mean but, i everyone's done that at some point right like mix kool-aid flavors like I, it was i just didn't think it was like this groundbreaking discovery well i guess for for him it was and it was the you drip. Know, most of the drip and it felt like also most of his teammates were like this is like way too sweet that's the thing yeah i think it was just i think he was you know they have those little individual gatorade packets i think he was just putting two of those in there so yeah of course it's gonna taste great it has like 55 grams of sugar in an eight ounce cup yeah per, yeah, per sip <laughs> yeah my my final antonio brown note um Need more of him in incognito interacting. I mean, that's uh, one of the more unlikely friendships, I think. Uh, and then, of course, he's also like great friends with Kyler Murray. I don't know when he had time to foster that relationship, but they ran right over to each other after the preseason game. Uh, not all that surprising. Question for you. Madden video game adjusters who are on the scene in this episode. Weird job or cool job? Weird job. I think so, too. At first, I was like, man, that would be kind of cool if you're like 11 years old, like that's exactly what I would have wanted to do after professional basketball player, professional baseball player, professional golfer, professional football player, like number five on my list as an 11 year old would have been Madden adjuster. Kind of weird seeing like a 35 year old guy doing that job. Yeah. You know, he's, they're like, I don't even know what to describe them as really, but it just comes off as like the, these sort of 
nerds that are, you know, like, at, how do you feel about your man versus coverage rating yeah. and blah, blah, blah? What do you expect these players to be saying? Like, yeah. I, I'm like I, a 72, I think. It's just, it's a very strange job when you yeah. really break it down. It's like and, you and must then, really like Madden. I, and I don't get how them being on site is going to help them. I mean, unless they're getting like the direct all 22 footage or something. Yeah, I, I mean, I, I, it was interesting to kind of peek behind the curtain a little bit. Like when they were, you know, they were basically asking like fifth round picks you know are you better at this versus this and you kind of just have to take their word for it you know i mean at the end of the day that guy's probably a 66 overall but the accuracy i guess the the dedication that goes into making the ratings accurate is is admirable uh oh, yeah. but still a little strange I, I did think it was cool and very unusual for darren waller uh he's i, I don't think he's a big madden guy that he asked what his rating was and they said you're an, an overall 68 and he said right away oh that makes sense like what player is like cool with being a 68? Almost always they're, you know, even guys who are seventh round rookies are upset when, you know, when their ranking is low. Yeah, that, that's a guy who, as I think the, the episode, if you didn't know beforehand, um, he has a level of maturity and self-awareness now that I, I think that uh, his Madden, ra- Madden rating is probably like the, the last thing he ever just thinks yeah. about. Well, probably. 99 awareness. Yeah. <laughs> He was, that was actually, you know, as far as guys who are confessed drug addicts, more or less, you know, kind of, kind of trying to talk their way into re- repairing their reputation. That was convincing. I'll oh, say yeah. that. Yeah. No. And, uh, you know, he's been making noise in camp like it, you know, I was excited, uh, when there is a bit of a highlight reel on him, mm-hmm. I'm excited to see if there, if there is a bit of like a hard knocks bump in his yep. ADP. A couple other quick notes I jotted down, uh, the Hunter Renfro combine photo. I mean, we've seen stuff like this. It was pretty reminiscent of the Tom Brady photo, but like, how is that even physically possible for him to do the things that he's doing with that body and like not just die on the field? Like he's still getting hit yeah, and then he gets you know, smoked. So they show the photo, the everyone's laughing and then they cut to like a 30 second clip of his highlights from Clemson. And it's, I mean, it stacks up with any other receiver in college football in terms of the difficulty of these catches. Oh my, like the one against like Syracuse on the sideline yeah. where he's on the ground and basically like picks it like, you yeah. know, like two inches it's off the ground. I mean, the dude's wild. hands are just unreal. So, I mean, that's that and the crispness of his routes. Like he knows he's not like going to outrun you over the course of 40 yards, yeah. but in 10 yards, like he might. I'm not trying to like body shame him. I just don't understand how it's physically possible to do what he does with that body. That's all I'm saying. Uh, the drip. Yes, it is the drip. Jamie Hepner, uh, that was the name of the applied sports scientist who basically looked like he could have been like a mix of Hunter Renfro and Luke Wilson. It was unclear if he was hired by the Raiders, if he was hired by the NFL or by Antonio Brown himself. It feels like an Antonio Brown. It seemed like he just hired him. It was like, hey, film this. See how good I am. Uh, But either way, need more of that guy. Um, Kind of an odd couple, him and Antonio. (laughs) Luke Wilson, talking Bridges, talking Ozzy Osbourne, talking Cavs. a, a, just kind of a weird featurette, I guess, for them to include for seemingly no reason. <laughs> I, I enjoyed it. Uh, you know, I thought it was really funny trying to relate to to his teammates while talking about No More Tears by Ozzy yeah. Osbourne. <laughs> so <laughs> fired up, man. <laughs> that baseline. And then, yeah, he does uh, love bridges. He loves uh, being Canadian. So I yep. was, uh, I'm sure he's really pumped for their, their game coming up in uh, up north. Another good John Gruden episode. Uh, my favorite part was when he was singing Happy Birthday near the end to Mike Mayock. And he sang happy birthday like an insane person. I don't know if you picked up on that. but Are we sure he knows the words to happy birthday? He knows the words. He doesn't know the cadence. He sang it like he was starting with the last verse. He's like, all right, one, two, three, (laughs) happy birthday. (laughs) Like, wait a second. And the entire song, so he ended up singing it way off key, way off cadence. And he did like the Florida State tomahawk chop 
through the entire happy birthday. Like, this is worth going back and watching. Yes, yeah, so that uh, God, I forgot. I almost was, forgot about that. Thank you for bringing that back bizarre, up. Bizarre. Yeah. That was that. It, I did almost tweet like, "Does John has John Gruden ever sung Happy Birthday before?" <laughs> yeah, it was. It was like I've never heard anyone anyone sing it remotely like that. Uh, and then finally, he basically concluded the episode by saying, "Quote: We got a weird week coming up, but we're a bunch of weird guys." And the room kind of started hooting and hollering. So I, th- I think people are buying into him. They're buying into this knock on wood thing that he seems to be perpetuating. Um, and like you said, overall, this is in a roundabout way made me root for the Oakland Raiders in 2019. Yes. You know, and I know that like among guys our age, like we're supposed to have like some sort of like weird, ironic, re- like reverence for like Jeff Fisher, but like the Jeff Fisher <laughs> hard knocks from the Rams, like maybe hate the Rams that year. Yeah. So this is going the complete opposite way. I, I'm, I'm kind of mm-hmm. in on this Raiders team. I hope they do well. All right, a few more quick items. Uh, the Sun Bowl is now the Tony the Tiger Sun Bowl. Pretty big development for the city of El Paso. Huge. Uh, a few stats on the Sun Bowl. The most Sun Bowl appearances, the record for that, is held by Texas Tech. They've been in that bowl nine times. They are wow. one in eight in those nine <laughs> Sun Bowl appearances. <laughs> what are they doing? Most uh, rushing touchdowns and total touchdowns in a single Sun Bowl. Priest Holmes, four. He's tied with some other guys who don't matter. That was in 1994. Um, this is probably the number one bowl right now. I mean, we'll, we'll get some more wild names as, as the time gets closer, but can you think of one that's had a better name than this in recent memory? Um, I think the the King, and it's funny how this, this particular brand has regained uh, a lot of notoriety in in the past week or so. The Popeye's Bahamas bowl is like my, and that's like when I like really started like you know, like working for Rotowire and, and like really getting into the yep. the college football beyond the the Power Five level, and I think it was like a Central Michigan mm-hmm. Middle Tennessee game that that was like almost a hundred combined points. So that was the inaugural Bahamas Bowl. Now it's like the Make Your Own bah- Bahamas Bowl or some other yeah. know, some weird company from Central Illinois. Uh, it needs to go back to being the Popeyes Bahamas Bowl yeah. because Popeyes deserves the naming rights of a bowl. I would like there to be a hams bowl, obviously, or a ham special light bowl, something like that. Yeah, it would have to be played in like Wichita, Kansas, or Tulsa, Oklahoma, somewhere <laughs> like that. Like, you know, the, for each bowl, they always show those like a peek behind the curtain at like the gifting suite, and you know, guys are getting like PS4s and TVs. Like, this would be you get like a fishing pole or like a shop vac or something <laughs> like that. The like, just shop like black idea is so <laughs> like good. A toolbox, just like blue collar <laughs> items. Uh, I think there should be the Pro Bowl, sponsored by Ricky Pole. I don't know where he's from, but you played in his hometown. Oh, so and yeah, then, I think for somewhere in North Carolina, because uh, I think he went sense. to UNC, and I know sure. his son Blake Prohl either is still oh on God. on East Carolina or definitely was there last year. I'm ashamed that I didn't know that. Um, an actual idea that I've had for a while, and I, I don't know if how realistic this is, but if we can play a bowl at Yankee Stadium, which is of course an outdoor stadium in the Northeast, why not play one at Lambeau Field? Call it the Ice Bowl. Big Ten gets an automatic qualifier. It could basically be like the Hawaii Bowl for Wisconsin, where yeah. like if Wisconsin, <laughs> if Wisconsin doesn't make the playoff, you know, by some crazy uh, happenstance, or they don't get into like a New Year's Six Bowl, they automatically get into the Ice Bowl and they play. It would be like it would be like an upper middle tier, like an Outback Bowl level bowl. You know, I think going to Lambeau would would have some some charm to it. It would carry some clout. The weather would be an issue, obviously, but I think for a lot of teams, just playing at Lambo would be enough, even though this is happening on like January 2nd. I love the idea of this. This is, I'm like kind of like intimidated by your 
giant brain on this one. I <laughs> I love the like the Hawaii Bowl comp to it too. Like yeah, yeah. If they don't make the playoff, they play in the freaking ice bowl and they play against Oklahoma State, and it's just a wonderful exactly. rowdy time. I I absolutely love that idea. So sign Thank me you. up. Speaking of Wisconsin, Quintez Cephas reinstated at UW this past week. It it sounds like they're kind of still deciding, you know, how quickly to bring him up to speed. I don't know if he'll you know if he'll play next week against South Florida, but it does sound like he'll be in the mix at some point. I mean, a guy who is on track to be a top three receiver for this team last year, obviously had some some off the field issues, but was cleared um, of all. I think it was sexual assault. I don't know what the actual charge was in mm-hmm. the end, but more or less sexual assault charges. Um, and that's been a high profile story, you know, in this area and has you know reached the national stage, I think, in the last couple of weeks. Um, XFL team names and logos came out today. Uh, I asked you to put together your rankings of, you know, looking at the team name and the logo together, how do you rank these teams in terms of which ones you'll be rooting for? Um, I think you start at the bottom for me, and I'd say the the LA Wildcats bringing up the rear. Uh, it's just like a weird color combination that they have going on. Um, and also the, the Wildcats, what... This is the XFL. You can't be the Wildcats. That's no. the, the most generic name possible. I think that's the number one name across all college mascots, right, is Wildcats because it's extremely generic. Like, I'm not saying, like, I have the St. Louis Battlehawks as number seven out of eight in my rankings because I think it's a terrible name. Like, I don't know what a Battlehawk is. It's one word. The B and the H are capitalized. Like, it's just too complicated. It's You can't become a national brand being the Battlehawks. But the Wildcats is so ridiculously played out. I, I think that's a horrific name. If you're going to go generic... There's never been a team just named the Dogs. Just be the Dogs. Like you don't have to be, you don't have to be the Retrievers or the Huskies. Like the Los Angeles Dogs. <laughs> Cover all your bases. Dog owners would love that. That would be my that would be my suggestion. So I'm with you on the, the Wildcats being. I had them at number six because I like the logo, but horrific team name. Yeah, really, really upsettingly bad. Especially like you said, like this is the XFL. Get a little bit weird with it. Um, yep. I like the Houston uh, logo, and and yep. I like the. I think the Roughnecks name is kind of yep. fun, actually. Same. But um, they they kind of have this weird hybrid going on in their logo, where the bottom half sort of looks like the Los Angeles Angels of Anaheim. Yes. A, but it's supposed to be an oil derrick that's sort of an ode to you know the Houston Oilers of old, which is one of sports' all-time best logos yes, in my opinion. And color schemes. Yes, shout out Earl Campbell. Um, but yeah, I, I think that I'm probably Roughnecks number one type of guy. I had the Roughnecks at two. Um, I'm with that logo is weird. It also looks like that weird logo that's on the field in New England at like the twenty yard line. I don't. I never. I've never it's, known what that thing is. It's, it's like a gray tower looking lo- thing. It's the thing that they have in that open end of the end zone. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. So it's that big like metal a, device. I don't know what that is, but it, yeah, it, it's. I don't trust it. I went Seattle Dragons number one, uh, even though they basically ripped off the UAB logo. Roughnecks two, the Tampa Bay Vipers three, solid name, solid colors. I mean, this is going to be a seamless transition for James Winston next year. Just stay in his hometown. Um, the New York Guardians at four. Uh, not really sure what's going on with this logo. I would said earlier, it kind of looks like a saber-toothed tiger crossed with a sphinx. Uh, at number five, I had the Dallas Renegades. A solid logo, I thought. Um, the eyes are a little bit bloodshot. They're bright red. There's no other color involved. Uh, but to me, like Renegades just screams XFL NFL Europe, Madden create a team, arena football type of thing. So I looked it up and like how many other teams are called the Renegades. Among many others, there is a British American football league team, a women's soccer league team, a women's football association team, a USFL team, and a CFL team. 
either are or were named the Renegades. Okay. So, I mean, they're coming from obviously, you know, higher ground here where, mm-hmm. where you know, they're, they're paying reverence to the, to the giants out there of, of the world where right. the other great franchises also named the Renegades. Um, I thought uh, you brought up the, the explanations. You, you linked it in, in our outline here of, of that. And I thought just like the, the overall, like, this is what Dallas means. And it's like Dallas is like she she texas like yeah, it's it's well we it, should clarify it's just not renegade i don't know i thought it was uh, funny yeah so kevin seifert of vspn and i'm sure other people have tweeted this out as well the xfl uh assuming that people would have some serious questions about these names tweeted out like a basically a three to four sentence blurb of like what every team name means in a very like heroic tone um i'll just read one of them for for example here's the one for the dc defenders on the shoulders of giants, they stand tall, unconquerable, unyielding, marching ever forward, a force united, one quest, one purpose, one resolve, seeking glory through grit, victory through valor, the DC defenders taking their stand. You know, they were so stoked when they were able to thread in United in there because of the, <laughs> that's the name of their soccer team, too. So, you know, like, oh, the synergy of the sports in this great sports city of Washington, D.C. Oh, man. So, yeah, uh, I'm sure that D.C. is just absolutely buzzing about having mm-hmm. the Defenders as their name and, and that that logo that I might have come up with on Madden 04. Yeah, I, uh, I I had the DC Defenders at number eight on my list for the simple reason that you can't name your team after part of the game, right? You know, that's, like the defender—that's half the half the team on the field—is the defenders. You can't just be like the Washington centers or the Washington point guards. You know, yeah, be like the Guardians or something. You something, know? something, so, something other than yeah, like you said, something that actually yep. occurs on the field. Yeah, I just overall I wanted a little more creativity. This is the XFL; like anything goes. Like just. Use profanity in the team names, like anything. Uh, yeah, I was a, a little bit o- underwhelmed overall. Would you say, uh, you know, point blank, that they had better or worse team names than the AAF? The same, right? Like you could have told me. I, I mean, the AAF existed for like a week and a half. I like the I Hot remember. Shots. I thought that was like a good yeah, name. Yeah, that should be an XFL yeah. name. That that's like they're and going it, out on more of a limb with the Hot Shots than any of these names are. I thought the Birmingham Iron was a good one too. Yeah, I mean, they I, had real like kind of connection to right. the actual city, like with with that. Um, and and uh, yeah, the Hot Shots are like a, as like an elite unit of of like firefighters out right, in Arizona, yeah. so it just made sense. Apollo's obviously in Greek mythology. Uh, Orlando is Orlando, Florida is the yeah. mecca so <laughs> <laughs> there is something going on there though because you got the orlando magic I, I think it's all disney related um okay a couple more items um i made a list on friday and it's a list that i've been then working on for a while i had some time i was dry i was in a car um for a couple hours and i compiled a list of like the guys who just came to mind as just like my guys like the guys that if you're 26 through probably 30 were just like on your radar, you know, in the years like 2005 through 2008, not necessarily the best players. You know, we're not talking Vince Young, Reggie Bush. I mean, those those guys were on everybody's radar. But sure. like, you know, guys who were maybe like borderline third team All Americans, big names, but bigger names for people our age. And I don't want to just sit here and read my own list because that would make for terrible podcasting. But I want you to tell me if I missed anybody because I'm, I'm sure you have guys um, that that meant more to you. You know, maybe in the in the South than than I did. Uh, you know, it's 
It's interesting. I think that, uh, you know, as a guy that, that grew up in Maryland, too, uh, we didn't have great college football, great college football tradition, especially. Um, but I, I loved the Henderson brothers. I, like, they, you know, they were guys that somehow made their way to the NFL despite playing for the Maryland Terrapins. Um, so uh, EJ Henderson and Aaron Hen- uh, Henderson, both good players that, that mm-hmm. I thoroughly enjoyed. I always just also just sort of as a neutral fan, I always felt like LSU was on on Saturday nights and just like Death Valley at night. There's nothing cooler. And and you mentioned him on your list, but there's nothing better than Trinan Holiday getting a punt return and just track starring it down the sideline. Just unbelievable speed. So uh, he was the man. Uh, Roscoe Parrish is another just incredible pull. Um, The time he got absolutely blown up by some uh, Florida State defender was just an all-time moment but he had a good uh, career in college at least other than that and he was someone that I always tried to make really good in Madden as well because oh, yep. you know he's great oh, bill yeah so yep. small and fast um, so I was a big fan of his but no I think really uh, you're lit like I wouldn't bet on anybody else to come up with a better list for this kind of thing <laughs> than, than yourself. I, I don't know that if that's a compliment, but thank you're you. You're so locked into the to like the 03 to 2010, yeah. uh, just kind of like not quite deep cuts, but not quite mainstream guys. That perfect kind of cradle. I think mm-hmm. you, you nailed the tone with it. I mean, the guys like Noel Devine, Lima Swede, Garrett Wolf, of course. I mean, these are just great names, yep. great players, and they all elicit a memory uh, in the back of your mind there. Yep. So I think that you did a really good job of kind of capturing that. Well, I appreciate that. Um, if you want to read the list, it, it is on my Twitter account from a few days ago. Pretty easy to find. Um, Trenton Holiday, though, I mean, that was one I hadn't heard that name in years. And, you know, I was kind of scouring some rosters to, to come up with some of these guys. I remember they used to hide him behind the guard. Oh. Some play, I don't even, it had to be in a legal formation, but he would, they Bless would like, you, dirty they dog. would like run a fake halfback dive and somehow he would end up with the ball and just like squirt out of the pack. And it almost seemed unfair, but he was so short and so fast that it worked like every single time. Yeah. Um, but those, yeah, those LSU teams, I mean, if you want to get into Paralu, uh, early Doucette, you oh. know, it just seemed like it was year after year after year. Like combination of great players who also had just awesome, unique names, oh, which is, I, which is a huge part of this. I just came up with one. Uh, this is one when we were like really young, like probably like one of the first college football teams that, that you and I would remember peerless price oh on Tennessee. Goodness. Oh yes. That that guy, I always thought he was going to be amazing and just kind of assumed that he was, even though he didn't really become a whole lot in the NFL, but <laughs> boy, what a beast on, on, uh, on Saturdays there for, for those really powerful uh, Tennessee teams mm-hmm. of the late 90s, early 2000s. Had some good years in Buffalo. I think he was a pretty big uh, or pretty high-profile signing when he, when he left for Atlanta and then just kind of fell off the map there. I think he was a casualty of Michael Vick's career also uh, falling off the map around yeah. that same time. Mm. Um, Brian Fenner and Target Hog. Yeah. Oh, my goodness. Algie Crumpler, <laughs> TJ Duncan. That, that was basically one of those teams now that we were doing this for the NFL. Yeah, <laughs> this is like a... Um, just picking up steam as we go downhill, big snowball. Last thing I wanted to mention, uh, this is a little bit more of a serious note, Clemson and Alabama, um, you know, by far the favorites to, to meet in the national title. It would be the fourth time in five years. They've already met three of the last four. They've combined for the last four national titles. Uh, there's a bet right now on the FanDuel Sportsbook. You can bet Alabama and Clemson to play in the national title game plus 250, which is an absurd line given, you know, how much is involved. I mean, we're talking what 26 to 28 total games that these teams would basically have to win at least 27 of to to get here that's right um so i mean it wouldn't be all that surprising and i think the fact that i would take that bet and i expect that to happen 
um, you know, says a lot about just how good these teams are. And, you know, even the gap between them and, and a Michigan or an Ohio State or a Georgia, which talent wise are right there, but just haven't been able to quite take that that step into like the pantheon level that these two programs had. My question was, when is the last time we've had two teams like this? I look back at AP poll data, um, BCS polls, things like that. And the only other situation in, in recent memory that I could come up with is USC, Texas in 05. Of course, that was Vince Young uh, over Matt Leinard in the, I think it was the Rose Bowl it that was. year for the win. Um, they were top two in the AP poll from start to finish um, in, in some order. They flip-flopped, I think, once or twice. Uh, USC, I think, was first like 13 out of 15 weeks, and yeah, then Texas obviously much finished first. Right. Um, that strangely enough, the Paul Puzlesny, Tom Bahali, Penn State, Nittany Lions finished third in the AP that year. <laughs> People forget that. Right. But <laughs> I think that was uh, Michael Robinson at quarterback. Oh, man. Um, but can you think of any other year where there have just been two clear cut favorites where, you know, anything short of those two meeting in the national title would be a surprise? This really does feel like like a lock and a half. Yeah. So I, it's just there are there are cases to be made for your Georgias, your Ohio States, your Oklahomas. But do you really expect any of them to to beat these teams? I mean, I think especially with Clemson, I think that they have just such an easy path to getting there. Their only difficult game is at home against A&M, um, who won't be beat up by that point, but that'll be the start of them just getting beaten down by their schedule. And Trevor Lawrence is just, I don't know, man. He's He is something else. So I, if if Clemson doesn't make the championship game, I will be absolutely floored by that i think that there's a reason why they open the season as the ap uh number one and then when it comes to bama i mean we got year two of of this you know to a fully led offense with with jerry judy and henry ruggs and jalen waddle and the list goes on and on uh, in terms of uh just absolute studs that they have i know you shared with me earlier like mel kuyper's early like first round in Alabama had like six of the top 25 players so I mean do you really expect them to slip up at any point uh, especially after last year getting the doors blown off them in the national title game I think that they're going to come back with a you know a type of laser focus that we haven't seen since the last time that they went mm-hmm. ahead and lost to Clemson in the national title game and then went ahead and won it the next year so I just I would be shocked if anybody else beats them. I think mm-hmm. I would probably give Georgia the best chance to to knock off Alabama, but that would be in the SEC championship game if right. they met again in the playoff. You know, does Georgia beat Alabama twice? I doubt it. So yeah, I I just think that there's a very very small chance, mm-hmm. at least you know from where I'm standing, where it's not Bama and Clemson facing off in January. Clemson is in such a great spot right now where I mean it's nice of them to schedule AM, you know, to boost the schedule a little bit. They don't have to do that. You know, they could play Baloney State that mm-hmm. week and nobody's gonna knock them off from number one or number two. You know, like their strength of schedule almost doesn't matter. Like they're so good that the only other ranked team on the schedule besides AM is Syracuse. And that's the second best team in the ACC if you're if you're going by the AP pool. Like not only is Clemson historically good to a level that few other teams in the ACC, SEC, or otherwise just nationally have ever reached. And, mm-hmm. you know, they don't project to slow down anytime soon. But at the same time, some of these programs that have, you know, kind of risen and fallen in the ACC over the years um, are all down basically at the same time. Like you're literally your next best competition in the conference is Syracuse. That's insane. You know, like Florida State, way down. Louisville, down for a while after they had a nice, a nice run. You know, uh, Georgia Tech, Obviously, was never quite at that level, but they were a lot more respectable five years ago than they are now. Like they, they just have they have no competition whatsoever in their conference, and it's not their fault. I mean, they're they're not going to secede from the ACC all of a sudden. 
But please no, I really hope they don't. Like, yeah, I don't want, that would be tough. I don't want them in the SEC East. <laughs> right. I mean, that would just get that would reach a point where you know teams like Vanderbilt would just have no shot. In the I mean, they already basically don't. And then you're adding another team like that. I mean, that's wildly hypothetical. But the juxtaposition of Clemson being one of the most talented and deepest and sustainable rosters going forward with the ACC also being down is just I, I cannot remember more of a lock like you mentioned. Um, for a team getting to the playoff or getting to the BCS title game. I, I just don't think there's ever been a situation like this where everything is aligning for them to just cruise. Yeah, it's it's perfect storm territory here. And and I think also Clemson has reached that point of, of just sheer like cachet that they have with, with the committee where, you know, even if they, like you said, they have this really bad strength of schedule, they could still slip up and still make the playoff though. Like as long as they just end up winning the ACC yeah. championship because the fact of the matter is, even if they screw up against Syracuse or, or something like that, or you know have the mm-hmm. pit incident front from a couple of years ago, Chris Blewett, what a guy. Um, I just don't really see a situation where the committee sits down and decides, nope, Clemson's not one of the four best teams in the country, yeah. and they should not compete for a national title. So, it like they don't even have the the sort of thin margin for error right. that that is also baked into a lot of other teams' uh, type of like playoff yeah. odds overall. So they're, they're just they're locks. It's it's unreal. Yeah, that's well. That's the cachet that you get when you return. You know, arguably the best quarterback in the country. You're coming off of a national title, which of course you know brings all that. You know, most of the offense is back, and you know, on top of everything, you're number one in the polls. Like it, the playoff is theirs to lose. They don't have to earn their way to the playoff in the same way that a Michigan does or an Oklahoma even exactly. does. Or you know, Alabama's probably closer to Clemson than they are. You know, the teams below them. Um, but yeah, I mean, Clemson it has to basically force people to keep them out of the playoff and that would take you know probably two egregious losses that just don't seem very likely at all yep um i think that'll wrap it up huh that will. yeah so we'll be back next week uh, at that point we will have actual real college football games to recap we are about a little over three full days from kickoff of that florida miami game let's go man i'm so ready is the story of the one as head of maintenance at a concert hall he knows the show must always go on that's why he works behind the scenes ensuring every light is working the hvac is humming and his facility shines with Granger's supplies and solutions for every challenge he faces plus 24 7 customer support his venue never misses a beat call quickgranger.com or just stop by Granger for the ones who get it done